Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Kia ora and welcome to Our Changing World from Radio New Zealand National. What do a pneumatic vertical cannon, a large siege catapult, medicine balls and silly putty have to do with science? They are helping geologists better understand volcanic eruptions and, in particular, the behaviour of volcanic ballistic projectiles, such as the more than 13,000 that were fired out of Upper Teimari Crater during a hydrothermal eruption on Mount Tongariro in 2012. Alison joins Ben Kennedy, students Rebecca Fitzgerald and George Williams, and assorted others on the playing fields at the University of Canterbury as they put the equipment to the test. Now, you're a geologist, Ben, but it looks like you're about to storm the castle. (laughs) What is that catapult? (laughs) So this is a catapult that we've designed at the University of Canterbury to simulate the passage through the air of volcanic bombs as they fly out of volcanoes. We're trying to study how these bombs change shape as they're flying through the air. What are you going to be firing today? Today we've got a test ball of a known um, weight, which is a sand-filled rubber ball that people use in fitnesses to do weight weight training. And then we've got a more realistic analogue material, which is silly putty. Um, We've actually got the silly putty wrapped in a condom to hopefully keep it together. But silly putty has similar properties to magma in that it's viscoelastic. So everyone knows silly putty, if you throw it on the floor it bounces, but if you just leave it there it'll spread out slowly. So this is what magma's doing. So hopefully by using this analogue it'll represent the behaviour in flight um, of, of volcanic bombs, which are also viscoelastic. That magma is changing shape as it goes through the air and lands, and you're trying to work out at what point in its trajectory it's changing shape? So because, it arrives like a cowpat. Yeah, so basically, does it fly through the air like a cowpat, or does it splat on the ground like a cowpat? So a cowpat isn't cowpat shaped until it hits the, hits the pasture. But our hypothesis here is that perhaps the bombs are actually becoming cowpat shaped like a discus as they fly through the air. And that affects how far they fly, it affects their drag, which are all very important parameters to eruption models that predict how far blocks will fly out of volcanoes. So we're in a playing field next to the University of Canterbury. You've got people stationed around the field to make sure that no one wanders through the firing zone. Yes, exactly. So we're very health and safety conscious here. Um, they're making observations as well of the, of the silly putty magma as it's flying through the air, but they're also making sure no one walks through. And how far are you expecting the sand ball to fly? We did a test this morning and it went about 80 metres. We'll see. With the silly putty, we have no idea. We should perhaps just explain it a little more. As you say, it's a siege catapult. How high is it? It's a good, what, three, four metres high? It's considerably yeah, higher yeah, than it's, me. Yeah, it's four metres high, and if you include the arm at full extension, it's probably getting closer to eight metres high when the arm is right up vertical and releasing the sling with, with the sand ball in it. So the sand ball's currently lying flat. It's tied to a rope to the end of the arm. When you release the chains, the big concrete block's going to drop, the arm's going to fling up through the air, and the it's a bit like release. a hammer throw at the Olympics. The, yeah, it's just like <laughs> a hammer throw. The ball will go hurling. Yeah, and they'll use the, the force of the, of the swing to, to launch the ball through the air. 
OK, well, we should go and stand somewhere safely to one side. Chris has already wound the trebuchet into a cocked position, and now he's taken the chain off. So now the weight is, is being taken up by the arm. So here we go. <laughs> so it was a bounce. Yeah, it was a bounce, and it looked like it was and it rolled falling in the air. It was kind of spinning and maybe flattening a little bit. And that's a, a good Olympic throw there. <laughs> so Olympic we throw. went quite a long way down the field. Definitely a distinctive uh, impact. That would depend a bit on the softness of the ground, of course. And the velocity that this these are being thrown at is a fraction of what actually comes out of some volcanoes. So some volcanoes can throw probably ten times as fast as these things are coming out. Um, and blocks can be up to a metre size and the impact craters can be up to 10 metres wide. So this is really the baby end of the, of the scale. So what shape did it start off as? Spherical, or as close to spherical as we could get it when we released it. And yeah, as it flew through the air, spinning through a horizontal axis, it became deformed into a, into a wheel shape. And it was probably spinning backwards as it was released. Volcanoes probably release bombs with various spins depending on the specific dynamics of the eruption. But if you look at high-speed video of eruptions, you can see blocks spinning in different ways and stretching. So in an eruption, you, you are getting some solid blocks hurled as well as lumps of magma? Yeah. So you get a whole range of um, viscosity, so kind of stickiness, depending on the type of volcano and the type of eruption. Um, some might be quite dribbly, and they can stretch out into long, kind of, you know, almost snot dribbles. Others can be completely solid angular rocks that won't change shape at all, and then you have everything in between that. So, you know, ideally this thing will be used in the future to do a systematic investigation of silly putty with a, a series of different viscosities and seeing how they deform under different conditions. Do we want to do this one now? Cool, well, I think we're ready to try the silly putty, which we have no idea what's going to happen. So this is, yeah, silly putty wrapped in a condom, homemade silly putty wrapped in a condom, so we'll see what happens to that in the air. There's only three ingredients. It's borax and PVA glue and water, which we mix together very carefully, me and Bex. <laughs> okay, so what does it feel like at the moment? Oh, there you go. Squishy. It's yep, very it's squishy and deformable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and what are your expectations about it when it gets flung through the air? Well, this first, is the first, man. So we, don't, we really don't know what's going to happen. In theory, silly putty, the faster it's moving, the, the more solid it behaves. The more solid it behaves. So it's going to be exciting to see what happens. <laughs> Oh, it's gone up. Watch out. Where's it go? Oh, oh lordy. Oh, oh actually, <laughs> actually, that landed not very far from us. <laughs> uh, it made, did make a big mess, but we didn't see it in the air. Did you guys see it at all? So it went from about maybe being 10, yeah, 10 centimetres diameter to being like 30 centimetres. So like stretched. a pancake? It's like a sausage. Yeah. It wasn't quite flattened like a pancake, but like it, it elongated as it was going through the Could air. have been controlled by the uh, latex device that was holding it in place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean the condom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, loading again. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Splattered across the rugby field. They are fairly cowpat shaped when we, when we pick them up. It ripped and then it was able to do what it wanted without the condom getting in its way. <laughs> Probably the first time anyone's ever said a ripped condom was ideal. <laughs> What's interesting is when they land, they, they're 
fairly uniform cowpat shapes. Yep. Even though the bits as they're flying are quite strung out. Which is important from an observation point of view and from a modelling point of view. That's cool. Yeah, really cool. Potential for the future. Mm -hmm. Successful test. And now it's time to test the vertical cannon. So we asked Pete basically to build us something that can fire rocks. Uh, 20 kg at 100 metres per second. And you always say, yeah, that's cool. And then you're going home, you're saying, man, that's fast. <laughs> Gee, that's heavy. <laughs> and that's serious. <laughs> but um, no, we've, we've made it to do 100 metres per second, certainly 8 to 10 kg. The main tube is actually well piped from a drilling company and other little parts or old industrial parts that we're going to scrap. And so it works pretty well for what it is. Haven't you even got a bit of an old motorbike in there as well? Oh, there probably is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it just works on the principle of when compressed air is put into a, a vessel and it's put up to a certain pressure, that in theory contains a certain amount of energy which can be translated into force times distance as acceleration. It's all a basic formula. And we got three tons of water from stopping it taking off under its own, right. <laughs> under its own oomph. Well, the, the next basic for, the formula is, is action and reaction. And because we wanted to fire it down to the ground, we really had to anchor it to the ground, otherwise it would take off as much as the rock wants to go right. somewhere else. So the most economic way was to get three, um, uh, three of these 1,000-litre tanks and fill them up with water, and of course they weigh 1,000 kg each, which provides sufficient reaction. We've been getting um, bits of buildings from salvage yards, testing how susceptible different materials and... Roofs and walls and that kind of thing are to, to ballistic impact. Are they going to be punctured? Are they going to be dented? How much damage is it going to cause? I mean, that, that's a photo from the Ontake eruption in Japan last year, and you see the holes in those roofs are from ballistics that were thrown out from a vent a kilometre or so away, or yep. less than that, actually. The scene looked like ash was the big problem, but almost all of the injuries and fatalities in the eruption were from ballistics, from just the chunks of rock hitting people. Yeah. And so the level of protection within a building and uh, your likelihood of getting hit and hurt from the ballistics is really the most important thing in this eruption and pretty important in some of our eruptions as well. 57 people killed in that um, Ontake eruption. I think all but one of them, from what we've heard, was from ballistics. We are just lucky that with... Samari that no one was up on the, the volcano so at the time. So the, the eruption at Tongariro. And some of the ballistics went through the roof of Kiritahi Hut? Yeah. I think there was a couple of them that went through the hut, they went through the roof, through the bunks and through the floor as well, so anyone sleeping in that bunk wouldn't have come to a very good end. <laughs> fortunately, it was in the middle of the night, terrible weather, so there was nobody on the mountain. Otherwise it might have ended up looking more like the Antaki disaster, but we were fortunate. Tell me a bit more about the work you were, you've been doing on Tongariro. So after the 2012 eruptions, we went up about six months later and mapped uh, the ballistic field. So firstly, we had an aerial photo taken from a helicopter, and that gave us um, a wide area of mapping. So we obviously can't go to the entire six-kilometre square area and map each ballistic. So we did that from an aerial photo first. and then So you we... could see the pock marks? Mm -hmm. You could see sometimes down to 30 centimetres, but relatively like accurately about two meters um, which is quite big and you can think of like that size block there is about seven centimeters in diameter and that's obviously not going to make a two meter wide crater so it misses out a lot of, of hazard that you don't see so we went onto the ground and picked specific areas and distances from the volcano and um, did some ground truthing and worked out that it was about four times more 
ballistic impacts than what you could see on the aerial photo, so that clearly influences your hazard and risk assessments. Then I worked out the probability of casualty if you were on the track at the time of eruption. So there was different areas of hazard along the track as you went down, and that went up to about a 16% chance of being hit in the Tongariro August eruption. Whether that's causing injury or death, we don't know yet. And so I also did a couple of models of a smaller and a larger size eruption to see what would happen and, and played around with those as well. So it's, it's a good tool to do hazard assessments with. You can change different parameters and work out areas that are going to be higher risk or lower risk and, and mitigation measures. That's what my, my master's project was on, which is really cool. And now you're carrying on to do a PhD. So mm-hmm. is this building on the work you've been doing? Yes, it's building on the work I've been doing and we're looking at different volcanoes around the world. So I'm going to Japan in a couple of months to look at Ontaki, which erupted in September October last year. Um, so a very similar eruption to Tamari, but this time there was casualties because there was about 200 people on the mountain at the time, um, a lot more people around, and so we want to see the comparison and the similarities of that and some doing some mapping there. Um, we're doing some more numerical modelling so that allows us to look at future possible um, eruption scenarios and, and kind of mitigate those before they happen. And looking at Auckland as well, we don't know where the next eruption will be but we can work out kind of what areas we need to define as a hazard zone if precursory signals and that kind of thing are starting to come about and looking at like the strength of houses like we're doing with the, the cannon, that kind of reflects back onto Auckland as well so we can have a look at maybe what kind of advice we need to give out and, and that kind of thing. So what's happening at the moment is we're pumping air into the cylinder. The pressure is going up in the cylinder and we're measuring it there and once we reach the appropriate PSI to throw the block as fast as we want, um, then Rebecca will release the trigger and then once the trigger is released, the the stored-up pressure inside the tank will fling the rock towards the pile of dirt and hopefully make an impact crater. We're not going to run it at full power as we're still testing, so we're going to try just, I think, four bars at the moment and um, see how that behaves. That was impressive. Made quite a... Thump, like that you could feel as well as hear when it landed. Yeah, it's a powerful, it's a powerful thing, and I think observations from people who've been caught in volcanic eruptions can have, you know, can confirm that you get these thumps as blocks are landing around them, and these blocks are impacting so fast that they are really creating these craters as they hit the ground. And we'll go and see how big a crater this is made. Again. So the speeds that you've got the rocks being hurled out of this cannon here. Those are speeds that have been recorded in real-life situations. Is that what you're doing? This is really very much the slow end, so this is probably just going at 30 metres per second on that order, and volcanoes have chucked ballistics anywhere from 10 metres per second up to 400 metres per second. Wow. And you saw how fast that, that went. <laughs> We've got a crater. It's kind of buried itself a little bit. It was quite compact when we did it, so the compaction of the ground kind of makes quite a bit of difference as well to how much shrapnel and, and how much of a crater you're going to get. If you hit it at a harder surface, sometimes the rocks break up, but this one survived this one. A lot of the times when you go out into the field after an eruption and look at ballistics, you don't find the block. Either it's buried itself, it's broken up and you can't find the pieces, or it's bounced out. So what we want to try and do is try and find a relationship between the size of the crater and the size of the block as well. So if we can't find the block, then we can kind of estimate what size ballistics have come out just from the craters on the ground. 
Yeah, so you um, might not have the blocks, but you do have the craters. Yeah, exactly. And also it gives you an energy um, of what hit the ground as well and the speed from the distance that it's been thrown out. You can kind of get a, a velocity of the block as well. So you set your rock up again? We have set it up again. Same rock, but this time we've got a little bit looser soil. So, so what do you think is going to happen? I think there'll be some debris come out. So hopefully it'll hit the water tanks and you'll see a bit of debris around the grass as well, kind of see how far it travels and, and how high it goes up as well. Um, hopefully it's a little bit wet enough to be able to stick to the, the water tank rather than just not seeing anything. Um, yeah, I don't think the rock will go much deeper or bury itself much more just because there's not really enough soil there to kind of get that effect going. And it'll be faster because it's going up to about 100 metres per second. And that last one you thought was about 30? Yeah. So quite a bit faster. Yeah. So I'm expecting a much larger thump yeah, this time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It gives quite a good effect when, when you hear that go off. You're like, oh, that's very powerful. Yeah, you really wouldn't want one of those coming through your roof. No, exactly. Um, so we've tested a corrugated roof before. It's like a, a little one metre by one metre area. And what And happened? that went straight through it. Um, so it wasn't quite high enough off the ground to be able to see a full puncture, but it dented the roof right down to the ground. So obviously it would have taken it if had it been like an actual roof. George, you're doing a master's degree? Yeah, I am. Bex was sort of focused on Tamari eruption, and it hit the Kitatahi hut. So mine is all about like ballistic impacts to buildings. We've got a whole lot of different like roof cladding materials and wall cladding materials in particular roof cladding materials because um, when these ballistics come down they fall at like a pretty high angle and if they hit a building they're most likely going to hit the roof. And so what we're doing is just sort of calculating the impact energy required to cause different amounts of damage to different building materials. But it's going to take a long time based on how, many, uh, how long it takes to do all these tests. Are you going to be testing different sizes of rocks? And... Oh yeah, definitely. Luckily for me it's um, something which hasn't been studied very much so... We'll try and find what's really critical to causing d d differences in damage. So we'll be testing like whether you've got like a really small one moving really fast, whether that's able to puncture through more easily than something hitting with the same amount of energy, but it's big and slow. Yeah, and we'll be looking at a hard rock versus a more, you know, that fun silly putty stuff that we've been doing today. So remembering that the silly putty is, that's bottling the magma, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you have like liquid magma being thrown out, then that's not going to have enough time to cool in the air to become a solid block and it'll hopefully do a lot less damage. But that's what we're going to find out. Unless, unless it manages to puncture through the root building and start a fire, in which case that would be more damage. Oh, of course, because it's hot. Yeah, yeah. they yeah, so hot that it's glowing. So the, the aim on Monday is to test some different types of roofing and see what, what different effects it has, what different strengths, different materials. Corrugated iron's the bog standard New Zealand roof. So. Yeah, so we're going to test, hopefully we're going to test tiles at some point. Reinforced concrete, so a lot of the um, ballistic uh, shelters around the world are made from reinforced concrete, and so it'd be nice to see that they actually Worked. work. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and then we can test... Um, like cladding, so if, if a ballistic came in at a different angle and it went through a wall rather than a roof, you could see at what point um, it's going to puncture, so how fast your ballistic needs to be, how big your ballistic needs to be, to have that kind of effect as well. On Kitatahi hut, um, we also saw a few tiny little shrapnel pieces of rock that are about centimetre in diameter um, embedded into the wall as well, so that's kind of the effect that shrapnel has, so, and little tiny ballistics. And something else I'm interested in is to see um, the different 
um, injuries and, and how likely death is with a, a ballistic, so how fast it needs to be, how big it needs to be. Does it just have to hit your arm? Or does it have to have a specific part of your body to kill you? Um, can it hit the ground and bounce up and still kill you? You know, like kind of working out how big your individual area of hazard is just from one block. We're gonna fire. Yep. Let's do another test. Slightly high pressure cannon and seeing if we can get a uh, more powerful impact. that bounced out of its little crater um, and I didn't see the video but apparently there was quite a bit of debris that um, threw out as well. So quite a difference with the softer ground. Yeah, a big difference with the softer ground. So what do you reckon the, the maximum velocity of ballistic could come out at, so if it was coming directly at you rather than falling out of the sky? Coming out of the vent? Yeah. Faster than the speed of sound, so 400 metres per second. 400 metres per second. So we're estimating up to about 100 metres per second for this one. So this is probably, we're probably only going about 60 metres per second right. Now, right now. So yeah, you can really imagine the, another order of magnitude of scale almost. And that's what makes it complicated as well because they slow down as they're travelling through the air. But then, depending on the arc, they also accelerate then from gravity as well. So all of those kinds of things and then the shape that you're seeing from the trebuchet makes a difference. And all of those need to be accommodated when modelling every one of these particles to try and work out the distribution of them and the, and the safety at any point at a, at a given distance from the vent and it suddenly becomes a very complicated problem indeed. Yeah, where are they going to land, how many are going to land, what how the big they're going to be, what big, all, the, all these things are going to affect it, the density of each blocks, yep. whether they're liquid, whether they're solid, interesting problem. It has big implications for life safety on, on the volcano. And it's a one person near event is a very small point actually so one ballistic almost no chance of hitting that person like even if you tried you wouldn't hit that person but if you put out thousands of these the, the statistics start putting that person at risk and it becomes a, a question of uh, how likely they are to get hit and all of these experimental results go into making that calculation so we, we're using Rebecca's PhD data directly for two main types of things. So one's, one's about risk, like risk calculation in Auckland. So we make calculations for the safety in the long term from eruptions and uh, can calculate the danger in all different types of buildings throughout Auckland during an eruption, for example, if there was an evacuation. And then I guess much more likely in our lifetime are, are the hazard maps that we use around Ruapehu and Tongariro, that kind of place, and, and deciding on how big to make the, the hazard zones during an eruption to keep people out of. So it's quite relevant both in our cities and, and in our national parks. If you were on somewhere like Tongariro and it erupted and there's all these things falling out of the sky, what do you do? Don't turn your back on them. So all the, the data we have on injuries and that kind of thing at the moment is from people who have run away and they've been hit in the back and the neck and that's kind of how they've, they've died or how they've been injured. So you want to make sure you watch where it's coming from and move away from that area, kind of like, an, we call it an orc step, so if there's a little bit on Lord of the Rings where there's a big place, piece of concrete coming at this orc and he just kind of moves to the side and, and that's kind of what we want you to do. But also seek, if you've got shelter around, seek shelter, like if, if there's a reinforced area around you definitely want to go in there and protect yourself. Yeah, I had a conversation with the military recently and their advice was if there are lots of blocks landing around you, just make yourself as small as possible mm. and try and shelter behind a block. Yeah. If, the, if there are less blocks coming around you, keep your eye in the sky and retreat slowly 
away from the volcano. Yeah, so there's some success on, on Taki with people hiding behind large blocks because that gives you a little bit of shelter as well. That, that works sometimes. Um, so, yeah, if there is multiple, multiple blocks coming at you, that's probably your best bet. That was PhD student Rebecca Fitzgerald. And you also heard from master's student George Williams and supervisor Ben Kennedy from the University of Canterbury as well as Graham Leonard from GNS Science. And there are some short videos of the Canon and Trebuchet in action on our webpage. Check them out, radionz.co.nz forward slash Our Changing World. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.